Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg as always, and today we've got a couple of big ones. So we're going to be talking about first the uh, the recent news about two of the developers from Guild Wars uh, being uh, from the Guild Wars 2 dev team from ArenaNet being let go over some um, Twitter interactions with fans. We're going to talk about that. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about Nintendo and the announcement that they want to host 20 to 30 new games every week on the eShop going forward, 20 to 30 new games. And then we're going to finish up with a neat little article that Vice Waypoint did, uh, basically talking about um, crunch, in, you know, in the uh, in development. And so we've talked about that before, like, you know, should, should companies unionize and should all these other things happen because of crunch. And crunch is essentially a development term when you're getting down to the wire and you have to work extra hard, you have to put extra time in. Some companies like EA will move people from crunch to crunch. And so this was a neat article at E3. They were they were basically asking people the different companies they were talking to about that specific topic. So it was really neat, you know, pull back the veil a little bit and kind of see what was going on there. Um, however, um, the first big thing we want to talk about today, and this is a big one, very, very important one, too. And th this is a complicated issue. That's the first thing I'm going to say. So we're going to be talking about Jessica Price uh, and Peter Fries were recently released from ArenaNet um, over issues that came up over Twitter. So basically, there was a clash with a fan over Twitter, some backlash, and then Jessica Price essentially got terminated from ArenaNet. So I want to talk about this, and there's really there's two parts we want to talk about. The first part is what initially happened, what caused the conflict between the two people involved. And then next, I'm going to go and I'm going to comment on if I think it was right for her to be terminated from ArenaNet. So those are kind of the two big things. And there's a lot to deconstruct here. So this is a longer, longer video or this is a longer segment of the podcast. So bear with me. Um, so uh, there's a really good recap. If you check it out, there's a really, really good recap here on Polygon, um, and, and you know they kind of go over things, but but we really have been digging into a lot of different things here, and so really what came up was uh, Jessica Price had done an AMA, and she had let me get back on this one. So she had done they had done an AMA about Guild Wars, and she's a she's a writer, she's a, a narrative writer um, for ArenaNet, and specifically for Guild Wars too, and so they'd done this AMA, and then she went onto Twitter to basically. Um, to kind of make another comment, and 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 her her next comment was actually a really really interesting take on how you write dialogue for characters when the player is the character. I actually really was interested by that. Uh, I thought it was uh, really really cool. Um, I thought that uh, I'm gonna try to find it here. Um, let me get to this comment. I think it'll take us up there. So okay, so uh. She starts talking here about, um, you know, about how to make characters likable in an MMO, how, how to, how to, you know, opposed to a pre-designed character. So she's saying things like in Bioshock, you're, you know, you're playing Jack in Dishonored, you know, you're playing Corvo and in Tomb Raider, you know, you're playing 
as Laura Croft. And this was really interesting read. I love stuff like this that kind of pulls you to, you know, again, behind the curtain of game design, you know, and game development. If, if you love video games, I think you should equally love finding out about how they work, you know, and I know not everybody does. It's like, I love cars, so I love knowing how a car works. I love games, I love knowing how a game works. And so it's really interesting, especially from a writer's perspective. And she goes into some awesome stuff about how, you know, part of the reason that Bella was a good character in Twilight was because she was just almost generic enough for the the viewer to picture themselves in that role. You know, that's why it, you know, um, was so interesting to a lot of people. They put themselves in that role. So she talks about how writing is very difficult when you're writing for someone who's going to be making their own character. And, and I, I find that that incredibly interesting. And so she's going on and she's talking about stuff like that, you know, and and. and a lot of it makes total sense. I think this was a really interesting take. She clearly knows what she's talking about, and she's clearly a very good writer. And I think it would also be very challenging to to write for an MMO when you're trying to write for a character that isn't set in stone, a character who's going to essentially be evolving by the player's actions. And so, you know, anyway, so she keeps kind of going on and on about it. And, uh, you know... Uh, you know, they talk about how in different episode three of this season of Guild War II's living world. I mean, just they're trying to do different. Like, that's the cool thing about Guild Wars 2. If you never played it, it, it tried really hard to keep a story, to keep narrative. When a lot of MMOs don't really do that, like you are just this generic hero. So then uh, one of the replies, I, I, I don't know if it was the first reply technically, but one of the replies here was um, right here from Diror. Uh, I don't know, Diror. Um, he is a Twitch streamer and a YouTuber. And also apparently an Anet partner, which means he he like almost exclusively does Guild Wars content. So he uh, he's he's got about eight thousand subs on YouTube. You know nothing crazy. He's got good followers on Twitch. He plays Guild Wars and and he's known in the community as somebody who a lot of people watch and like. He's helped spread the word of numerous numerous um to, to the word to numerous people about the game and how to you know why they should play it and he's always been really positive about it so he makes a comment here and he says really interesting thread to read you know it gives the the this I, I always feel like this is kind of sarcastic in tweets but i don't think he meant it here like this but i was you know it's almost like the you know um however allow me to disagree slightly i don't believe this issue lies in the mmorpg genre itself as your wording seemingly suggested i believe the issue lies in the constraints of the living stories narrative design when you want the outcome to be the same across the board for all player experiences then yes by design you are extremely limited in how you can construct the personality of the player character pc but instead, players were given the option to meaningfully express their character through branching dialogue options, which also aren't just on the checklist for an achievement that forces you through all dialogue options. Um, three of four, because I can't count seemingly. And then he says four, then perhaps players will be more invested in the role-playing aspect of particular MMORPGs. Nonetheless, I appreciate the insightful thread. So that's what he says. To which Jessica Price replied then, Thanks for telling me what to do internally, my dude, with the eye roll uh, little <laughs> ASCII here. And so she obviously was offended by the fact that he came out and said, hey, I kind of disagree with what you're saying about it being the genre's fault. Uh, I think it has more to do with branching storylines and things like that. So in my opinion, I read this, and this is about the most nice constructive kind of PC way to engage uh, a developer in conversation. 
I don't know how else you could approach somebody with with your opinion. Clearly, somebody who's passionate about the game, who you know is a YouTuber and a Twitch streamer about the game, is an Anet partner about their game. He loves the game, and I don't know how else you could say this uh, in a nicer way. I, I mean, I really believe that. And I, I read this, and when I read that this was what kind of started everything rolling, I really was kind of baffled by that. So after she says that, he replies, you're getting mad in an obvious attempt at creating dialogue and discussion with you. Instead of just replying that I'm wrong or otherwise correct me in my false assumptions, it's really disheartening for me. You do know, or you do though, I'm sorry if it offended, I'll leave you to it. And that's it. So he's even saying like, hey, sorry if I offended you, I didn't mean to, I was just trying to open dialogue and have a conversation about this game that I love with a very talented person who helped create the game. So you're like, I mean, this, this whole thing, I, it just seems completely blown out of proportion. And it, it, so it's just kind of weird to me. And then, so now if, if that was kind of it, it would be over. And I don't think there would be anything else going on. And then you have this, uh, um, then you have, uh, I want to kind of see where I want to get to here. Um, so she comes back to say, uh, where is it here? See, now this is so tough because it's so, uh, there's so many like, Millions of things going on in this thread. Um, let me try to back up and find it here. Uh, maybe I won't be able to find it. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Um, but but anyway, so then she comes out this next time, and she basically says, "Today in being a female game designer," she she quotes this tweet and she says, "Today in being a female game designer, like basically." complaining that someone's telling her how to do her job because he's a man and she's a female game designer. And and I just, I don't understand where that thought came from at all. And clearly she was upset by what he said. And she clearly took it as criticism, obviously. But was it? Um, I, I, I look at that and I look at it like it's the just the, the craziest kind of situation. And so then the next thing I wanted to kind of show here is I have some audio from a Twitch stream that happened. This literally was the day before... Um, but the day before she, uh, he, that this in exchange went back and forth. So bear with me here as we, uh, as we load this up, I said this on seed time as well. Uh, there's a little bit of bad language here too. So just be fair warned that uh, a little bit of bad language on Sunday. Um, I genuinely believe that the, uh, the reason why, like this was the perfect time to, to kill him off because we needed something, we needed something more. I, I love how I love Jessica Price's um, responses. She is like the the god of fucking uh, AMAs. Like she just she just gives great answers all the way through. It, it's absolutely amazing to read through. But at one point she was like, um, she just explained, this is why we did it. This is how we did it. I said this on. Okay, so that was the response. So that that wasn't excuse me. That wasn't the response. That was the day before. That was the day before this exchange happened, and that was um, Derwar Gaming. So that was the guy who basically made this comment, was trying to talk to her, and she basically is saying that, uh, um, she's basically saying that, you know, she doesn't know who he is, obviously, but she's what she, she attacked somebody, essentially, who happens to be, like, one of her biggest fans. It's just crazy. Um and, and so I always go, whoops, we, we messed something up there with the, with the thing. Okay. Sorry. And, um, so 
she, she, you know, she obviously probably didn't know who he was, but to instantly jump on him that he's sexist and that he's hating on her for being a female game developer, she doesn't know anything about him. And so, like I said, clearly uh, she didn't know who he was and that was part of the issue. But then she goes on, so it doesn't end there. You know, I think if she had just ended it there and said, you know what, I don't like how he talked to me, even if he didn't mean it that way, I don't like it. And he said, hey, no offense meant, I'm sorry, that's it. But she goes on to, to tweet more. Since we've had a lot of hurt man feels today, let me make something clear. This is my feed. I'm not on the clock here. I'm not your emotional courtesan just because I'm a dev. Don't expect me to pretend to like you here. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy to me. Um, like the next rando asshat who attempts to explain the concept of branching dialogue to me as if, you know, having worked in game narrative for a fucking decade, I have never heard of it. It's getting insta-blocked. PSA. And then that was, you know, today in being a female game dev, allow me, a person who does not work with you, to explain to you how to do your job. He did not at all do, I'm sorry, that I, I have to, <laughs> this is probably going to blow me up, and I'm probably going to get blasted for this, but I'm sorry, she completely overreacted to what he said. Now, I'm always willing to, to put myself in other people's shoes. Does she probably get a ton of harassment from people that are not constructive all the time? Probably. And so she's probably always super on the defensive because she just assumes everyone's going to be attacking her right away. And I totally get that, you know, and you can have as thick a skin as you want. And part of that having that thick skin is always being on the defensive and always expecting this barrage of awfulness to come your way. And I'd be totally ignorant if I said that it doesn't exist in the world today. Now, I think my main issue is not is is that it doesn't just apply to women. And I think that's part of the problem is that everyone's instantly trying to say it's always terrible man children assaulting women. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but plenty of other devs get harassed that are that are men that are, you know, it doesn't matter. It, I think harassment's bad everywhere. However, I I'm totally willing to agree that it is worse oftentimes in the case of women and there are a ton of these um just stupid and, and i'm okay with saying like these stupid man children that that like act like they're super privileged and they have the right to say whatever they want to whoever they want and they want to act like they know everything and they don't and they abuse people it, it's happened it's like with the star wars thing like Personally, I think episode eight was terrible. I hated that movie, but I wouldn't message the actors and tell them that I thought they were terrible people. Like, what's wrong with people? You know, why can't you just dislike something and say, yeah, I didn't like it? I wish I had liked it. If you like it, cool. I don't. So I'm just going to forget about it. I, you know, what happened to that? Why? Did, you know, I don't understand this at all where, where we are right now in this, this like society just battling against each other all the time. It's almost like, you know, it's, it's our latent um, primal instincts that are always have to be at war with each other. And since now we're in a civilized society, how do you war? You war with words. And so you always want to have an enemy, right? You always want to have somebody you're fighting against. And it's just mental to me, you know, like, like, so I understand probably where she was coming from initially because she's probably been attacked a million times over, but was she super quick to jump on this guy for absolutely no reason? Yes. And, and I do believe that. And, and I think saying that it's your personal feed is a little bit of a cop-out because you're talking about the game you work on and you're essentially trying to push this knowledge of what you do out to the masses of the people that play your game and the people that may not play your game. So you can't argue that it's your private thing. You know, Now, if you had a Facebook page that was private and you message a friend and you say something like, man, 
this one guy was arguing with me on Twitter and it really made me mad. I think he's an idiot. And then that person somehow screenshots that to your boss. I'd be like, hold on a second. That wasn't, she wasn't on a soapbox trying to like present this information to anybody. This was her, you know, <laughs> this was her in a private conversation with somebody else. Th that's not what this was. In fact, she was even following up to the AMA, the AMA she did on Reddit, as assuming that it was the ask me anything that she was almost extending that to Twitter. That's, how I gathered from it anyway. And so I definitely, like I said, I can put myself in her shoes and I can understand why she's on edge. She's probably been harassed a bunch. She doesn't deserve that. People who harass people like this, even if you don't like what they do, I don't understand why you feel like you have to harass them. It's unacceptable. It's even like the Billy Mitchell thing. Like, okay, you think Billy Mitchell's a cheater. You don't like him. Perfect. Don't watch him. Don't support him. But to like attack his kids and to go after his wife and call him terrible names, like I, there is something wrong with you if you're doing that. You're angry and you're projecting that anger all over the place and it's terrible and that and that will not make the world a better place. So think about that if you're ever in that position where you want to. And I'm not saying you can't complain about things that you don't like. Like I complained about episode eight. Uh, you know, I did, uh, I complained about it plenty, but it, it, it wasn't so far that I was harassing the people that worked on it and I wasn't harassing people that liked it. I was just saying I didn't like it. And, you know, and, and, you get the flack from the other side too. Like there, there were people literally saying that if you, this is actually Andrew Reiner from game informer said this, he said, you know, he basically said that if you didn't like the people on his, on his feed that were commenting about why they didn't like episode eight, just missed the point of the whole movie, didn't understand it. And that that's why movies like transformers exist where there's no thinking involved. So he was basically criticizing everybody who didn't like the movie. Now he tried to back, that up a little bit and was like, no, I'm talking about the people in the comment section of my feeds, not everybody who didn't like it, but that's not how it came out. That's not how it was said. So it, it works on both sides of that too. There needs to be a little bit of, it's okay if I didn't like something and I leave it alone. And you have to say, it's okay that you didn't like something. Like when people come into my store and I'm like, oh, I love Monster Hunter. I put 200 hours into Monster Hunter. Oh, I hate Monster Hunter. I think it's the stupidest game ever. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I really like it. And that's all I say. And that's really, why do I have to be like, okay, if you don't like Monster Hunter, you're not a true gamer you're not a real gamer, you know, gamer, gamer. It's, it's, it's idiotic to me. It's stupid. We have to be better than that. I've said that a million times on this podcast. and I will always say it over and over again. We need to be better than that. We need to be better than that. So that's it. You know, that, that was like the initial, whatever, you know, that was the conflict, you know? And so getting back to what I said in the beginning of the video, part one is, you know, what do I think of all this? I think someone offered constructive criticism and I think she snapped and blew up at him. She could have come out and said, you know what? I do apologize. I, I felt like you were attacking me if you weren't, you know, I'm sorry I overreacted. I do appreciate your feedback and I appreciate the fans uh, that, that, that I work for. That's, that's how you have good relations with your customers. I mean, that's like, that's like basic, you know, I know that she's like a writer. She still works in customer service. She still makes a product that customers have to buy. And if she's a representative of that product, you can't make fun of the people that would buy your product. You know, I mean, that's just basic marketing stuff. And I understand that it's a creative degree and it's not the same as me selling games. I understand that. But, it, you know, it, it's it, you can't just attack the people that would normally play your game. If they're following you on Twitter and they're talking to you like the way he did, they're clearly a fan. Like that was the most nicest way I've ever heard anyone say anything like that. Um, so then uh, and, and that was on the 4th of July. And then. Uh, so a coworker of hers, Peter Fries. So he was also terminated along with her. So he came up and he said, um, 
he he had said, let's see here. Here's a bit of insight that I legitimately hope he reflects on, that she never asked for his feedback. And I'm like, okay, she never asked for it, but she put it on a public forum while standing on a soapbox saying, here's my thoughts on this after doing an Ask Me Anything on Reddit. So she did put it out there. So yes, you could say, hey, guys, I want your feedback. And then if people provide you feedback, okay. But you can't just say a statement and then say, well, she didn't want feedback. She could have said in the original tweet, don't, you know, you don't come to me with your feedback. I don't want to hear what you have to say. But that would have also been really abrasive too. And that's probably why she didn't do it. She only became abrasive once she felt attacked, right? And so then we're moving on to, you know, the rest of this uh, Peter Fry's comment here. So, you know, th this guy kind of replies, you know, what, what kind of way of looking at the world is that? We didn't ask for our fans' input, and we put our thoughts on social media, customer relations. To which Peter Fries replies, these are our private social media accounts. Imagine you're an astronomer, and you start sharing some things you've learned in the last few months since you began a research project observing Saturn, only to have observation techniques explained to you by a layman. And and then the another person replies to him that, uh, this is frankly quite embarrassing. Twitter is not a private site, and Guild Wars 2 is very much a public game. If an employee is going to share insight about a portion of the game people find lacking, passionate players are going to respond. And in this instance, criticism was delivered in a constructive and inoffensive way. To take that feedback and conflate it with sexism is unprofessional and should not be the first line of defense in scenarios like this one. And then Peter Fries replies... Today is a national holiday. It is our day off. After working hard for months on our most recent content release, if I'm being embarrassing and unprofessional, it's because I'm enjoying a beverage in the sun in my backyard and this nonsense is being directed at someone I respect. So he's he's standing up for. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, you know, I, and I don't, you know, the, the, the tough thing is we don't know really what happened behind closed doors, right? So we don't know what happened when these people got called into a meeting or when they were at work. We don't know. But he was basically sticking up for someone who he felt got wrong. Now, did he read the original tweet? I don't know. Did she maybe, you know, did, they, did she maybe chat with him and be like, oh, people are attacking me on Twitter over this conversation? And maybe he didn't read it and he jumped to a conclusion? I don't know. And, you know, he goes on to say Jessica's great at her job and deserves to be treated with respect, which is the gist of what I was reacting to. And, like, I totally agree with that. Like, he's not wrong. But did he not read the, the post that apparently was attacking her? Because that was very respectful. I don't I don't understand how anyone could read that and think that that player had been disrespectful. I don't think he was telling her how to do her job. He was just saying, I think the difficulties stem from this. And this is somebody who has played a lot of games like this. And it's a different perspective, right? So he may not be a 10-year vet of writing games, but he might be a... 10-year vet of playing narrative-driven games. So is his expertise more important than hers? No. Is it valuable in a different way? Absolutely. Like, my God, companies do product research. Companies do, um, like, uh, testing groups to be able to, you know, see if their products are going to do well or to see how people will... Customer input is invaluable, and so to treat it like it's not important doesn't make any sense to me. Now, it does sound like somebody, to be fair, who would be a writer and not somebody who would be in charge of marketing or someone who would be in charge of, of distribution and, and marketing the game and selling the game. It seems like somebody who is a writer and just wants to do their job and not deal with the other side of it. So I, I don't have a problem with him sticking up for. In fact, I think it's very good. You should stick up for people you respect and your friends and your coworkers. But I don't know, did he see the original post? I, I, I That would be my question, you know? So again, that's what happened. That's all it was. That's that's what happened. Oh, we got an error. Okay. 
so we had to air. Um, it is uh, I'm trying to get back to the original one. So it is that that's the story. That's how it happened, and then that's how I feel about it. Now, is she wrong for being upset at the criticism? No, if she, if that's what she feels, I, I I don't blame her for being upset if she thought she was attacked. But to keep it going and to keep pushing it, it's just not a good looking move. And so, and then uh, her friend um, then gets fired apparently with her for sticking up to her. So again, that's pretty weird. So now we're going to get to the second part. And we're going to talk about how ArenaNet handled the situation. So now these are quotes from Jessica Price. So all we really know basically is what she's saying about how the meetings turned out. But this is her stance saying... That she was called into a meeting with a manager from the narrative department, a human resources person, and the ArenaNet president, Mike O'Brien. Quote, I was given no opportunity to argue my case, she said. My manager was on vacation. O'Brien spent some time insisting that developers must be friends with the company's customers and that it was unacceptable to say that we aren't, even when we're not on the clock. So he's referring to that tweet where she said, you know, this is my private thing. I don't have to pretend to like you here. Um, and... Uh, and so, um, he told me I'd look back and regret this because we were doing great work and I'd ruined it as in Jessica Price had ruined it. Quote, the whole thing was highly unprofessional. She continued. There was zero reason for him to be there. He wanted to vent his anger and he had the power to command a woman to stand there while he took his feelings out on her. So he did. Then he walked out. The manager got my stuff from my desk and the HR person asked for my key card. Uh, Price then later discovered that her colleague Peter Fries, who defended her in social media, was also fired. End quote. So uh, what I kind of want to talk about this then, and this again is the Polygon article. It, it does break everything down really well as far as what, you know, she got the extra quotes here. Uh, again, you know, I just have to say I'm sorry. I don't, I, I wasn't in that room and I don't pretend to believe that, that these things can't happen, but it, it instantly she goes right on to the thing that you know, the boss didn't need to be there, but he was there and he was just a man shutting down a woman. And, and I, I just can't see how you can always go there. And I, and I understand that if you deal with it a lot, you may assume that that's where it's all, why it always is. And that's where it's always going to go. I just don't see it here. You know, I'm sorry. And like I said, I'm probably gonna get blasted for that. I just, I don't see it. And I don't see, I don't see how this was anything other than the boss being upset that she basically said on Twitter that she doesn't have to be nice to her fan to her fans or she doesn't have to be nice to the customers of the game she works on that seems to be because she even quotes it here that that the developers must be friends with the company's customers and then it was unacceptable to say that they aren't now okay i work in customer service i deal with a lot of people that i would not consider my friends but there is an understanding that there's a, a common courtesy and appreciation for them being my customers. It's probably the nice way to say it. Um, and, and it's funny because I have almost a similar story to this. I I was at a movie theater once and there was this, this guy used to come to the store all the time. And, and we know each other now and it's better now. But at the time, he would come in, he, in my opinion, from my perspective, he was always very negative. And I felt like he was always trying to poke you and he was always trying to rile you up. Like that's that's the idea I got. Well... This was actually when I was working at GameStop still. And he would come in, he would say things purposely to like, you know, 
like that would rile you up, you know? And so he would just do that. And when you're a customer, I don't care because we're not like we're friends or anything. So I was at a movie later uh, at another time and he was in the row in front of us. And he was like, oh, hey, man, what's up? I'm like, oh, hey, man, how you doing? And uh, he said something. And we, we were talking before the movie. I was talking to my, my buddy next to me and I was saying something about, you know, I don't remember what I said, something about Metallica. I think the new Metallica album had been out or something. I was listening. I don't remember what it was. Something about Metallica. I know that, which if you don't know, they're, they're my favorite band. I understand they get a lot of hate. If you don't like them, okay, fine. I'm just saying they're my favorite band. And so he purposely then goes out of his way to start just trash talking Metallica because he knows I like them. He literally just heard me tell this other person that I liked it. And so he starts going on about how they suck and how stupid they are and how to, what garbage they are, what no talent they are. And okay, if you don't like how they handled the Napster thing, which my God, that was like, what was that? 20 years ago, 25 years ago. If you don't like that, fine. You know, if you don't like their music, fine. But I'd have a real hard time if you're trying to argue with me that they're not talented. In fact, I, I will not accept that as an argument. I will uh, debate people over that. Um, but if you don't like them, it's fine. Again, like we were talking about earlier, if you don't like them, I'm not going to be like, well, you're stupid. I'm just like, okay, cool. I do. And hey, I'm cool too. And we're all, it's all cool. But then he starts just berating them and just talking about how stupid they are and untalented and they suck and they're hacks and their music's garbage. And so I remember saying to him at that time, I said, hey man, you know what? I said, I, we got in kind of a little bit of a tough and I was like, you know, man, when I'm at the store, I have to pretend to like you. I don't have to pretend to like you here on my own time. I literally said that to him and he got really mad. And I think he was really hurt because I think he thought we were closer friends, you know, from talking all the time in the store. And it kind of shows you the different perspective you might have on people. And so I remember thinking like, I, I don't like this guy. And now he's making fun of all this stuff. I'm not gonna, you know, and, and was I, was I being honest? Not really. I didn't not like the guy. I just, in that moment said something I thought would hurt his feelings, which was that I didn't have to pretend to like him. Like I was pretending to like him before. And now that was me personally saying that in a movie theater, not on the internet for everyone to see, but it really made him mad. And I don't think he came back to the store for quite a while. And it was a while until we actually ended up, you know, I don't think we ever really talked about that situation, but eventually it, it, it sizzled down and we had other conversations. I think he mellowed out a lot, like as he got older and then we actually had conversations about it, you know, and not about that situation, but like good conversations back and forth. And I consider him now like a, a good person, you know, but it was funny that at that time, so I've done that. Like I've been there where you're so frustrated and you're so sick of people tearing on things that as soon as somebody does, like you jump on them and if you feel like all day you're pretending to be someone's friend because you have to for work and then you feel like you're on your own personal time, I can relate to that is what I'm saying. But she wasn't really on her own personal time. She was on uh, her personal social media page, which is public, and she was talking about the game. It's a public game. So it's a little different situation. So I think she overreacted. I wish that she, I, I wish that she could have seen that and just you know, seeing that she overreacted instead of doubling down on it, just kind of backed off and been like, you know what? Sorry. I was a little stressed out. It wasn't cool. I do appreciate everybody who buys the game because it keeps her in a job. So she does in one way or another appreciate them, you know, if not individually as a whole, she appreciates the people that play the game that keep her, you know, gainfully employed. Um, so then, you know, that's the kind of story uh, from her perspective of what happened when she went to the office. I don't like throwing out the, he was a man talking down to her cause she was a woman. I just, I, I don't like that. Uh, I feel like he was probably a boss who, who was like, you don't tell your customers that you don't like them. <laughs> so that would be like, even on my, uh, my employee's personal Facebook page, if they went out and said, 
you know, if they went out and said, God, every customer that comes into the store is just a stupid idiot and I hate them and I don't, I don't have to be nice. And then maybe one of them was friends on Facebook. He's like, Hey, I'm a customer. He's like, look, man, I don't have to be nice to you. I, you know, whatever, like I would be pissed and I would talk to him about that. And you could not use the explanation that because it was his private Facebook page that was visible by the public, that that was okay. And so I wouldn't accept that excuse, just saying my perspective from being a boss. So I have a lot of interesting angles here. I can understand everyone's kind of perspective from different experiences that I've had. So, but this, so I understand where the boss is coming from, but I'd have a real hard time justifying firing somebody over this. And that's my, so that's my take on ArenaNet. I think this was an overreaction on their part. So I really don't think this was that big of a deal. I don't see how this is something that you couldn't have pulled her into an office and said, look, even on your personal Twitter, we have a clause in your contract, which I'd be surprised if they don't because most companies have a, have a clause in their contract. It's like a decency clause where anything that they deem to be inappropriate behavior can cause termination so uh, you know do they have something like that i don't know uh they should because a lot of people do it's it's um it's like a decency clause or they call it something else it's not decency but you know the nfl players have it too nba players have it too like they can be let go for any reason without pay if they break like this this you know god i'm spacing on the term it's basically like a like a like a like a goodwill clause like you know you can't just be a crappy human being and just because it's not on the football field it doesn't mean you're immune to consequences basically and so you know if if they have that now uh price also claims that uh there were no warnings that she's never had any issue about this before about sharing what she's been sharing on social media Quote, I was told during my interview and subsequent hiring communications that ArenaNet respected my willingness to speak up on issues in the industry and had no desire to muzzle me. She said, I had in my time there zero warnings about my social media use. Everything I said on Twitter was consistent with what I've been saying for years and how I've been saying it. Um, I don't know if she's ever said that she doesn't have to be nice to the customers, though. Like, that's actually what I think happened here. And I think everyone's getting wrapped up in the harassment and all that sort of side. It seems like what... Mike O'Brien was most upset about was how she treated the customers and how she said, I don't have to pretend to like you here because it insinuates that she was pretending to like them other places. And so then you're, you're just opening yourself up to criticism at that point. Um, uh, she said she believed that ArenaNet was the sort of company that encouraged individualism quote. It felt like it was too good to be true. When they offered me a job, they promised me that I wouldn't have to check my identity at the door. They said that they admired my willingness to speak up about issues in the industry. There was so much we were doing internally that encouraged me to hope and to trust them. There were executives talking about diversity and building a non-toxic work environment and acknowledging that talk wasn't enough, that they had to put money and effort and leadership behind it. Uh, end quote. And... Uh, she goes on to say, quote, there were meetings in which executives promised us that they wanted us to speak up about the ugly things, the harmful things, and that we wouldn't be punished for doing so. And there was constant talk about how to make it the sort of place you dream at working at, not just because of the cool games we were making and not just because of the benefits and perks, but because it was going to be a corrective to the exploitation and toxicity of such of the industry. Um, and it's so devastating that a company talking all that talk folded like a cheap card table the first time their values were actually tested. Doing the right thing is hard, sure, but doing it regularly makes it easier to keep doing it. And the corollary to that is the capitulating makes it harder to stop capitulating. End quote. So 
uh, and, and I'm sorry, I have to disagree with her again here. I don't think that this was one of those moments where the company should have went on a crusade against, um, you know, the guy that came back to her. I mean, the, the how were they going to attack an arena net partner who streams Guild Wars 2, makes Guild Wars 2 videos and talks about how much he loves Jessica Price as a writer and as an AMA person and loves her AMA responses. And how, and how, how would they come against him? And like, how was that going to happen? Because that didn't happen. So she can't expect them to stick up for. Her. Now, could they have said, could could they have protected her? Yes. I mean, I think they could have come out and said, you know what? We feel like it wasn't okay for this partner to, you know, a, a friend of the company to say, you know, to question our writers, but he didn't even really do that. And imagine the outrage if that YouTuber slash Twitch streamer had lost his, uh, had lost his like partnership deal because he harassed uh, you know, somebody at ArenaNet when that didn't happen. And then the truth comes out and then your fan base would be even more upset, right? Because you essentially, you know, broke partnership with somebody who's a person, a face in the community, who's a very positive face and who's only said really decent, tolerable things. So now she's kind of, I'm sorry to say it again, because I don't like to take anything away from when real situations like this occur. But she's basically saying that, they fold like the, the company had a chance to do the right thing by social media and they folded like a cheap table. I, I don't see that. I don't see them folding. I will a hundred percent though. Again, reiterate, I see that they overreacted. They 100% overreacted to this, this little thing that she said, they should have reprimanded her. They should have given her a warning and said, look, you cannot say things like we don't appreciate our customers. You can keep talking about the social issues that are important to you because they never seem to have a problem with that. As she even says by her own admission, they never had a problem with that. The only time they seemed to have a problem where it was just one and done was when she made the comment that don't act like I have to pretend to like you here because this is my private social media. Again, that's insinuating that she is pretending to like them other places. And so... uh now, we also have to look at what the motivation was for the termination. So if Mike O'Brien, the president of ArenaNet, if he was on the Reddit thread that this was all brought up in, and he read all the responses and negative responses, and that's what caused him to do a termination instead of just like a warning or um, some sort of disciplinary action, that's a really bad idea. And I say this as somebody who wants to be an influencer, who wants to help make positive change in the gaming industry any way I can. But if... If if your only way to do that is to complain about things and make such a huge stink that people change or affects their decision making, like if if he looked at all that and said, man, the fans are really mad. If I don't fire her, they're going to be really mad. That's that's weak leadership. And I'll say that that's Mike O'Brien being a weak leader. If he listened to the Internet masses, which, again, oftentimes is the vocal minority. The vocal minority are oftentimes who are the loudest. And so if that's what he listened to and that's what made his decision, that's terrible. But we don't know what happened in this meeting. We don't know if he went in there and said, look, I have a problem with you saying that you're pretending to like customers that you're not going to pretend to like them. You need to be friends. And then maybe she said something like, I have a problem with you not allowing me to express myself on Twitter and it's my private Twitter. And maybe she was arguing it back. And then he was like, you know what? I can't work with her because she's not seeing my point. I don't know. I really don't know if that's what happened. We weren't we weren't there. We can't assume we were. But if those sort of things were happening, then I could see him making that on-the-fly argument or that on-the-fly decision to terminate. So, 
You know, it's, it's a very complicated situation. And it really, really sucks because there's not really any winners here. I feel like the Guild Wars community is losing out because they lost a, a great writer who was writing good scenarios and was a, a really talented writer for the team. So the Guild Wars players are missing out. I think ArenaNet's missing out because now they have to find somebody and replace this person who was doing good work for them. And, and then you have all the negative press surrounding it. So this is like a no-win situation for anyone. And it really, really sucks um, because it all kind of started from just a, like overreactions on, on many people's sides. Um, again, I think she overreacted to the initial tweet back and then she kept going further with it uh, when she should have just backed off and said, you know what? Sorry, I, I jumped the gun on that. You know, you're a fan, you're a partner, you're a, you're, a, he had an intelligent inquiry. It's not like he had a bunch of misspellings and said stupid stuff like that person understands the game mechanics from his perspective and offered insightful criticism in my opinion and she jumped on him for it and then claimed he was sexist for it and then claimed that you know it was just a man talking onto a woman and it's like it's not about that you know and and doesn't that cheapen the argument when that actually happens if we say that it happens every single time we have a disagreement then doesn't that cheapen when it actually happens right i don't know i don't know and like i said i'm probably gonna get blasted for this i i don't know i i just that that's how i feel about it and that's all we're going to talk about it. Uh, so then moving on here, let's let's move on to uh, th this was a weird one. So oh, always bumping my mic. Um, so I want to talk about Nintendo. Uh, a recent communication came out. So there was an interview with Susumu Tanaka. He's a senior executive officer at Nintendo. And he recently commented that he wants to see 20 to 30 eShop games show up on the Switch every single week. And that's baffling to me. Now, this is an interesting conversation because really what it's going to come down to is how many games is too many games. That That's really the decision we're going to have to ask. Because we'd be complaining if they were only releasing one game a week. And if we're going to be complaining that they're releasing 20 games a week, what is the perfect number? Is it five games a week? Should it just be every week five games and that's what makes us happy? Well, what if 10 really good games come out and then the next month no good games come out? Should we make developers push their games to make give us that 10 games a week? That kind of seems silly, right? So, uh, but this was an interesting article. This was on Destructoid just talking about, you know, this was kind of their question. Do you have a plan for eShop visibility? Because if, if you are familiar with other online marketplaces like Steam, the PlayStation Store, Xbox store it's sometimes very difficult to find what you're i shouldn't say that it's not difficult to find what you're looking for it's very easy to find what you're looking for there's search options you go in you look for it you're fine but this is a tough question because sometimes you can't find what you're not looking for <laughs> maybe you just are looking for a new indie game that's really good and so you just want to kind of flip through the games and see things once you have 20 to 30 new games a week that is essentially 80 to 120 new games per month okay that's like over a thousand games per year a thousand games per year that you and this is just the eShop stuff so how are you supposed to find these hidden gems you know how are you supposed to find all this stuff without you know with 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 the store the way it is and and again it's not the store's fault when you have you know 80 games in a month how can you you can't highlight them all you know now Part of the reason I think they do this, 
well, I should say not part of the reason they do it. Part of the perk of them doing it is that Nintendo will be able to accept money, more money, to have titles pushed um, to the front. So now Nintendo could say, well, we've got 80 new games hit the wall this week, but if you want to be on the page for a whole day, you know, pay us X amount of money for the advertising dollars, we'll put you on the front page and boost your sales. So that's that's a benefit to them doing it. Is that why they did this? No. Why they're doing it is because they want to make sure that their platform has the most games available. Uh, and it's happening. Um, the Switch is very popular. It's selling well. Whenever that happens, you start to get a ton of software for it. And I have to be honest, this year has been a little weak for Nintendo first party. And I'm not bashing them, but, you know, Aces was kind of rough. Kirby was kind of rushed. I, you know, Donkey, uh, Donkey Kong kind of rushed so and a lot of ports so they're, they're missing like the triple a massive heavy hitters that they had last year and i'm talking about zelda and mario arms splatoon i mean like that was last year compared to that this year feels a little light obviously we have smash brothers coming in december octopath traveler is this friday i cannot freaking wait for that but we have to be honest and say nintendo had a really strong first year and they're a little light this year so they're going to open up the floodgates to the eShop. And that's not necessarily a bad thing um, because you want to have as many games as possible for people to buy and play. Nothing wrong with that. However, what is that perfect number? <laughs> if, if we wouldn't be happy with five games a week and we wouldn't be happy with 20, like who decides what that perfect number is? Plus, it's not like if there's 20 or 30 games a week that you're going to want to play all 20 to 30. You might only want to play five this month and you might want to, you know, play one the next month at all you know you have to have variety variety is the spice of life as they say my friends and so not everybody likes the same thing so you have to have enough to cover all of your bases and that's what they're doing but the difficult part is how do you how do you get through it how do you figure out how do you figure out where your perfect number is how do you figure out where the games are that you want to get to and how do you make it so that these great indie games that are sometimes developed by one or two people, some of the most funs you can play, some of the most fun games you can play, how do you find them uh, when they're buried and they may not have the money to pay Nintendo to get it featured, right? So um, obviously there's other things you can do. There's social media. There's other ways to advertise, but I, I see this as a bad thing. Um, initially, if you're going to push for 20 to 30 games a week, that could be a bad thing. If Nintendo somehow reworks their eShop, maybe they have like rotating, maybe they do a Netflix type thing like, hey, recommended for you because you liked this game. You know, I could see it. I could see it working, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's a really, it's really dangerous um, to have that many because right now, I, I hate to say it, Steam is kind of a mess. And every Tuesday or every Wednesday, I go onto Steam, I look at the new releases, and I have to sort it by new releases, not new releases that are popular. And I go to new releases and I'm just scrolling through a list of just junk to try to find one or two games that I might enjoy playing to do a let's play on or something. And, and, and so there's a lot of like digging through the steam sale. For instance, the steam store has so many damn games on it now that <laughs> you don't even have, you don't even get to see the whole store. You just see your store. It's a store that's catered to you based on your purchasing preferences. So it's really difficult sometimes. And there might be a game that's totally out of left field that I would have no idea anything about, but I'd like to play it. It just, you know, it's just not there, you know? I mean, and, and how, how would I find that? You know, and I have to stumble upon it or I have to watch it on YouTube. Or I have to get lucky. And some of these games that I'm playing, I actually went through and downloaded a bunch of games during the PlayStation stores, like midsummer sale, got a bunch of great games, cheap games that had been out for two years. And I had no idea they existed. 
And thankfully, because they were on sale, I bought them cheap and I loved them. Um, a Bastard's Tale is a game I'm, I'm putting together a video for. That game is bonkers. It's super hard, super annoying, and uh, and great. <laughs> and I'd be so pissed if I had never played it. I guess technically I wouldn't because I wouldn't know it existed, but uh, I would be pissed. Uh, <laughs> in my head, I'd be pissed knowing what I know if I had missed out on it. In fact, I'm pissed I did miss out on it for as long as I did. So we'll have to see what that means. 20 to 30 indie games on the store per week is what... Uh, senior executive officer Susumu Tanaka says he wants. And here's what he says in his last statement. Um, in the future, we're looking to release around 20 to 30 indie games on the Nintendo Switch per week, and we definitely expect to see some great games among them. Now, part of that could be translation issues, but I really hope we're going to see more than some great games <laughs> i would like to see a lot more than some please um but anyway that's it nintendo plans on releasing 20 to 30 indie games on the switch per week in the future so we'll see how that works out and then lastly we're going to talk a little bit about uh this waypoint article so this waypoint article this stuff's really interesting to me so actually this came out yesterday and it was an article about e3 2018 and the interviewers asked nintendo microsoft and 12 other devs how they deal with crunch if you're not familiar crunch is a term for when uh, you're very close to a project being done or you have to hit a deadline and you need to hit that deadline so crunch is when you start putting extra effort in it's when you start putting extra time in and it's when you start putting a ton of extra everything in cutting out social life, working six, seven days a week until your project is complete. You know, we've heard when we were talking about the unionizing of the game developers uh, in a podcast a few months ago, you know, we were talking about things like, you know, some developers were working seven days a week, 12 to 14 hour days for three or four months at a time. I mean, that's like, that's bonkers to me. And, and I, when I opened my business, I was working... I was working 12 hour days, six days a week. Um, so I was putting, you know, 72 hours a week and it was a lot of hours, but I was also, it wasn't a crunch time. You know, I wasn't like, it wasn't every day was nonstop, had to get stuff done and just working myself to the bone. In fact, a lot of it was kind of sitting around waiting for customers to come in. So it was okay. But it was, uh, you know, it was still a lot and only having one day off a week. I remember originally I was going to be open seven days a week. And so I was going to, I was going to do seven days a week, 12 hour days. And then I, I was going to try, and there wasn't even a day where I could do my laundry. That's how much I was working. I couldn't even come home and have enough time to do laundry. And so I got to the point where I was like, yeah, I can't do it. I have to have at least one day off. So I was off, we were closed on Sundays. And so, you know, even that was working a lot, but that wasn't working under stress and deadlines. That was just me having to physically be at the location while we were open during open hours. In fact, I played a lot of great games. I played all the way through Earthbound. I played all the way through Dark Souls originally. I played a lot of great games uh, waiting for customers to come in. So anyway, this article about uh, Waypoint just talked to other developers and publishers about how they deal with crunch. So I'm going to try to skip down here a little bit to uh, the first one they talked to was Reggie fils -Aimé. He is the president and CEO of Nintendo of America, if you don't know. And this was the question. And this question is very similar in all of them. So I'm going to stop reading the questions after this one. And I'll start just kind of reading the reactions. But this was essentially the question as is posed to everybody in the article. So how is Nintendo committed? 
and what are you doing now to ensure that there is a good work-life balance and fair conditions across first-party title development, your executive level, your support roles, the stuff happening at Nintendo, and hopefully even at close partners? How are you combating an industry-wide relationship to crunch that is often that can often be deeply unhealthy? That's the question. So this is what Reggie had to say. He can only he's uh, he's saying he can only answer this question from Nintendo of America perspective. And for us, crunch happens differently. It's not a developmental crunch, but it could be a bug check crunch or it's a crunch in preparing for an event or a crunch in preparing a game to pass our lot check process. Our approach is this. We flex through the use of contract employees. We flex in the way we work with our agency partners. Our mentalities were going to flex by adding headcount as appropriate to help us get over a crunch. That's the way we approach it. So basically saying that they add more employees and that they rotate their agency partners for bringing in contract workers. So, okay, so Nintendo actually has a plan to combat crunch. And now a lot of this stuff is relative to the United States. Japan is a very different culture. Um, so this, though, mo uh, mostly seems per pertaining to um, to the U.S. So that was uh, that was Reggie. So then they talked to Raul Barbet. He's the game director on the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit. So he says, I think I will talk about my team. So the team of Life is Strange, as you know, Don't Nod, that's the company that makes it, has several projects. So I only talk about the Life is Strange team. So he only wants to talk about his team. I think the problem with our industry is that we've got a lot of people who are very passionate. So you can always find people who want to work for free for you. And if not, you will say, there are hundreds of people like you who want to come to my team. So it's easy to profit from that and to use that too much. I really think we never have something good from someone who spends nights at work. And I think inspiration comes a lot by your other life out of the game industry and game development. So it's really important to have your time in your life for friends, family, or whatever. It's easy to say that, but I think you can very easily, even people who are working on the team, are really dedicated and they want to create the best game they want, so sometimes will stay. So he brings up a very interesting point. He says that you need to have a good work-life balance, that a lot of people draw inspiration from things outside of work, and that if you're working too long, the hours you're working there aren't as productive as if you go home, get sleep, come back the next day fully refreshed. So... I think that's really fair. I think that's a super fair point. Um, and then he also goes on to say, though, that there are hundreds of people like you who want to come to my team. And that's very true. It's an industry that's highly sought after. So if you've got someone who doesn't want to do the work, you've got a hundred other applicants who would happily come in and do the work who are looking for their shot. You know, they're looking to take you out. They're, they're willing to do the things no one else is willing to do to get that job because they want their shot. But he makes a great point and says it's easy to profit from that and to use that too much. And that's a very important point is that as a responsible director, as a responsible company, you should never take advantage of that. Never take advantage of the fact that you've got someone who's working hard but starting to get a little burned out. And then you push them harder because you've got 10 guys over there that are willing to do the work that this person's not doing right now. And so I like where he's coming from. I actually totally agree with that. In fact... When I worked at Software Etc. before it became GameStop, my good friend and I, we used to work together a lot, my friend Mike, and we we would, when 9 o'clock rolled around, we'd close the store. When 9.30 came around, we would punch out and we'd stay at work for probably another hour to two hours, making sure everything got done. Now, a lot of that was fun because me and him liked hanging out. We didn't even think twice about it. I probably, if I'm being honest, I probably worked off the clock two, three hundred hours there. Um, if I, yeah, if, if I had to be honest, yeah, that's probably accurate. 
about yeah three four or five hundred hours off the clock um but i didn't care because it was my choice and i think that's a very important distinction here if you let the developers do it because they want to they'll have an easier time with it if you're mandating it it's a lot more difficult to stomach and it should be appreciated not expected and that's how i always took it because you know when I would talk to my guys when I was a manager, then later on at GameStop, and I'd have my people essentially wanting to do the same thing, I would say things like, look, you know, I don't want you working off the clock. You know, you deserve your time off. But when you're here, I want you thinking about that. So you're working your ass off while you're here. So you don't have to stay two hours late, you know, and I have conversations with that with them. But if I found out that they did stay late to get something done, I would say, hey, I really appreciate it. You didn't have to, you know, don't do it again, but I really do appreciate it. You know, one time one of my employees, Dom, he was working and he stayed late one day to get a whole bunch of stuff done because he just wanted to get it done. And then the next day basically got criticized because he had like 0.25 hours of overtime and at GameStop, like overtime's a big no-no. You cannot have overtime. And so even if you have a quarter of an hour overtime, you get written up for that. And so instead of his boss saying, hey man, you know, I'll go to bat free on this one because we need to get the work done and I appreciate you. The boss got yelled at because he had overtime and then the boss yelled at him for having overtime instead of appreciating what he did. Very, very similar to this. They just want to be appreciated. Um, so then I talked to Matt Booty, who's the head of Microsoft Studios. Uh, he said, you know, I'd love to sit down and kind of get like top to bottom how we think about our studios. I'll just say in the interest of time, that's one of the big advantages of being a part of Microsoft. There's a huge cultural focus at our company on work-life balance. Our CEO has got this amazing thing, he says. Quote, really, the company is there to work for you, not for you to work for the company. He wants your job to be in service of moving your life forward. Uh, and that's really how I came in and led the studio. We want our game teams, we want the folks working on our game teams to be thinking about how this is personal to them and how they're moving themselves forward and their careers forward. Back to the studios with games we announced titles, uh, with games we announced today, it's like, what are the studios that are run by dedicated leaders who take those things seriously? That's one of our criteria. So that was Microsoft's take on it, saying their, the current CEO is saying how they want the company to work for the employees as well as working for them. I mean, that that's kind of corporate speak, to be honest, but it is, a, it is a legit strategy. Like, you want people to feel like what they're doing is bettering themselves. You want them to feel fulfilled. I believe true happiness comes from fulfillment. And so once you feel fulfilled in what you're doing, you will be happier doing it. Simple, basic stuff. Um, and then this is one of the guys from Dying Light 2. Um, so he says, uh, but the problem is that people crunching in our company is actually something that all the workers think they need to do right now because they want to have their work look better. There's always can be, there, there can always be improvements made. So it's more about that. And I think that crunch isn't bad if it's occasionally during production, like if there's a huge milestone, um, which I totally agree with. Again, like you should feel that way. If you're proud of something and you've got a deadline, like you should want to hit that deadline. In fact, it all depends on how you're motivated. Personally, I'm very motivated by um, having to get things done. Deadlines actually push me harder. I know a lot of people, deadlines stress them out. And so it really does depend on your team. And, and you know, like when I'm hiring people, I want people who work well under that kind of pressure. Not saying that everybody has to, but that's who I want on my team. And, you know, maybe they're different, maybe they're, they're not. But again, he comments on how a lot of the employees working want to put that crunch in. They want to put that time in um, because it's up to them. Uh, and then he also uh, goes on to say, though, that sometimes when you have companies that are in crunch for three or four months, that's just bad planning. 
And that's very true too. Um, that could also be marketing things where one, you've got a leader that's not planning well, but two, you've also got a game that says, you know what, we got to get this game out by this day and we're not pushing it back any further. Or, you know, you make milestones when you're a company. Oftentimes, if you're a developer who isn't owned by the publisher, the publisher sets milestones for you that you get bonuses and you get paid based on meeting those milestones. So if you don't do that, you know, then that's why you could be in a crunch. And then think about this. If you're crunching and you barely get through that milestone, you got another milestone coming up. <laughs> it, like, it's almost like it never ends, you know? And, and once you finally get caught up, it's like you're always chasing, right? You know, you're just... You're just you just tread in water at that point. Um, so, you know, then they argue that so crunch you act. So the sort of crunch you actively work to make sure is not part of your studio. And that's the guy from Dying Light says, yes, they don't want that part of, you know, that three to four month long crunch. Um, and so he says two things, set smart milestones and um, good planning because planning is everything. It's scheduling. It's like if you were a roofer and you decide to do an estimate on a roof, you have to be able to make a good estimate or you're going to lose money. Um, or you're going to estimate it so high that you don't get the job because someone else will do a more accurate assessment and will get the job instead of you because they'll be cheaper. Um, and so there were a couple other ones here, like uh, like Tunic, this is essentially a one-person dev, and he goes on to say, you know, I, I can quit whenever I want. I don't really have any deadlines, he said, but he says he realizes that after... You know, after working, if it's 10 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, he says here, it's better just to go to bed and come back tomorrow when his work will be more fruitful. So, okay, makes total sense. Um, so then they talked to Patrick Mills, who's a quest designer for Cyberpunk. So he's not a manager, he's a quest designer. And he said there's a big amount of management question there, which I can't answer because I'm not management. Personally, for me, I think there's a lot of people who work here. It's a matter of continually looking at the situation that we have and work that we have and deciding that we want to keep doing it. It can be a difficult decision to make, but it's a decision that we wind up making again and again. So um, then they asked as a follow-up, is there ways as an individual to make sure you have the resources available and that you're compensated for all that stuff? And of course he said, absolutely. That is, they are compensated for that at CD Projekt Red, which we did a story on a few months ago about how on the Gla on Glassdoor, the website that kind of has anonymous employees talk about the company, they had some negative reviews on there, uh, mostly about pay though, um, but uh, you know nothing really about how bad the crunch was. Um, and this is one thing Mill said. He said the one great thing about this company is I genuinely do believe that management cares. Whenever I've needed time off, I've gotten it, and that's something I and that's something I can say about that. So he talks about how when he needs time off or he needs a break, he gets it. Now, of course, Cyberpunk is still realistically probably a year at least a year and a half away probably two years away so they're not in crunch yet <laughs> so he might sing a different tune when they're they're getting a couple months out but you know that's kind of where they're at and and there were some other ones here you know rage 2 they talked to them they talked to um they talked to sam lake who's working at uh remedy who did you know um, alan wake and uh quantum break stuff like that and they even ended up talking to Mike Gallagher, the president of the ESA, who's kind of like the lobbying group, the representative for the gaming industry. And uh, and he goes on, you know, basically to talk about how, you know, they haven't really had an issue because wages are very high and the barrier to leave, uh, to exit for employees is low, which means there's people hiring, you know, it's not like you ever feel trapped in your job. So they can't really abuse employees as much, you know, it's almost like... Um, a buyer and seller's market. Like right now it's, it's, it's a game developer's market. There's more need for them than there is jobs to fill, you know? So you, if you don't feel respected or liked in your profession, you can, you can bounce and go somewhere else. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was pretty much all we want to talk about. And I know this was probably pretty boring. Um, 
but I love this side of the industry. Like I love, I love pulling back the curtain. I talk about that all the time, but you want to know how these games are made and the people behind it and kind of understand the processes. There's a really cool way to do that. And crunch is a real problem. And it's not just in game design, other software manufacturing, um, other companies have deadlines, you know, things have to be done by a certain date. You stay late, you get them done. Even at my store. I mean, there's times when I would say in the month of May, we had one of the biggest trade months we've ever had. I mean, it was unbelievable the amount of product that was coming in every single day behind the counter. I had a pile of stuff. It was never the same pile as the day before, but it was a huge pile. Nonetheless, it just, as soon as we cleared it, we got another pile, cleared it, got another pile, which is great. Not complaining. It's the, it's the engine that drives my business and I love it. Um, but you know, so there were nights, there was one week where I worked every day that week. I came in on Tuesday to help. I came in on Thursday to help. I stayed late. I came in early and I just pounded it out because that's what you do when you need to hit. And I didn't really have a deadline to hit, but I can't sell stuff if it's not on the sales floor and I can't sell it if it's not clean and I can't sell it if it's not organized. So, you know, it's how you work. It's how you do it. Um, and, uh, so anyway, uh, crunch is a real thing. Deadlines are a real thing everywhere. And as long as I'll, I'll, I'll end it with what I'm, you know, been preaching earlier on the video was just that it's, it's okay when it's, appreciated but not expected it should never be the expectation that your people will stay late and do all that stuff it should always just be appreciated when they do and then if they don't do it often enough for your likings then you find somebody who will and that's that um and then lastly so now we're gonna get to the game of the week which once again i totally totally forgot to pick ahead of time which happens a lot on this podcast uh, if you're if you're a frequent tuner inner of it um, so I'm gonna talk about I uh, you know I'm gonna talk about beatdown because I know I haven't talked about this game before so uh, I have this on the original Xbox uh, it is also available on PS2 I just didn't play it on PS2 I played on Xbox which I don't really know why I would have normally played this on ps2 and so i have it on xbox because that's the system i used to have it for so beatdown made by capcom was essentially a, a beat-em-up it was uh, it was like imagine those old school capcom beat-em-ups from the arcade then transitioned to the full 3d kind of like fighting force on ps1 and n64 and then this was kind of the next evolution of that so you you picked from different characters and then each character had a very specific story that you were playing through, but all of the characters intertwined in some way. So you'd want to play as all of them so that you could get, you know, the idea of what everyone was doing, uh, get the whole story. But then you could also customize what your guy looked like. And, you know, you had weapons, you go up and down the street, it's kind of a cheesy story, but you just go up and down the street and you beat the crap out of guys. It was really good. It was really fun. Um, I haven't played it since I originally played it, so I can't really comment on how well it holds up today, but it uh, looks pretty cool. So I don't know. Uh, uh, I definitely uh, want to play that again, though. It's on my list of stuff I want to kind of go through and replay again. But Beat Down Fists of Vengeance for original Xbox and PS2 is my game of the week. Check it out. It uh, it's really fun. You should uh, you should uh, you should play it. It's uh, really fun. Uh, get it back on the shelf. All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching, as always. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud or on iTunes, if you could go to droprate.life or just go to YouTube and search for The Drop Rate, uh, you can subscribe to us there. We'd really appreciate that. You can go on Twitch and you can follow us there. Uh, also, if, you are, if you're watching this on YouTube, though, you can also uh, go on to SoundCloud and iTunes if you just want to hear it in full podcast format audio only.
Um, and uh, we, we broke 2,500 subs and we just keep cranking and cranking and it's been great. Um, the growth is just awesome and I've been super, super happy and proud with it. And uh, we're just going to keep plugging away. You know, now now the next goal is 3,000 and then after that, you know, probably 4,000, 5,000 to 10,000, you know, and just keep keep going. And hopefully you guys like our content and hopefully you want to, you know, keep watching more and, and hopefully we'll keep making more for you. So thank you as always, everybody, for watching. I appreciate you. Have yourself a good day. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.